Hi, parents, guardians, and caregivers. I'd like to take a moment before the podcast to thank you for choosing me, Raggedy Auntie, to be your child's reader for the next half hour or so. Now more than ever, stories are so important. I have placed a link in my link tree where you can donate to help children in Ukraine at savethechildren.org, or you can go to UNICEF's website to donate to their education program who are trying to get some education and some stability to the children in Ukraine. This is very close to my heart. So next podcast, March 23rd, is going to include some Ukrainian folk tales and some songs that I'm learning specifically for you. This week, we're talking about St. Patrick's Day. And I want to thank you so much for listening. And I'm very, very glad that you are here. Hello, my sweet friends. It's nice to see you again. Come along and read with me. It's my favorite place to be when Raggedy Auntie reads. Hello, my sweet friends. Welcome back to the Book Nook. I'm Raggedy Auntie, and I have a treat for you today. Next week is St. Patrick's Day. Now that's a day when we celebrate the country of Ireland by wearing green and sometimes having parades and listening to some wonderful music from Ireland. St. Patrick is the patron saint of Ireland and rumor has it that he drove all the snakes out of Ireland. We know that those snakes were actually people who didn't have the same religion that St. Patrick did. That might not seem very kind, but he did do lots of really kind things for the people around him. And did you know that St. Patrick's Day is celebrated more in the United States than it is in Ireland? Isn't that wild? Ireland has a very rich culture and wonderful history. We've got some great stories and poems for you today. We are going to start with a poem about a little white cat, a pinger bon, if you will. And we're going to hear about a very, very old monk who lived with that cat. Then we have two wonderful stories. And we're going to end with another beautiful poem. Let's get started. Pinger Bon, originally written by an Irish monk, English translation by Seamus Haney. Pinger Bon and I are at work, adepts, equals, cat and clerk. His whole instinct is to hunt, mine to free the meaning pent. More than loud acclaim, I love books, silence, thought, my alcove. Happy for me, Pinger Bon, child plays round some mouse's den. Truth to tell, just being here, housed alone, housed together, adds up to its own reward. Concentration, stealthy art. Next thing, an unwary mouse bears his flank. Panger pounces. Next thing, lines that held and held, meaning back begin to yield. All the while, his round, bright eye fixes on the wall, while I focus my less piercing gaze on the challenge of the page. 
With his unsheathed perfect nails, Panger springs, exults, and kills. When the longed-for difficult answers come, I too exult. So it goes, to each his own, no vying, no vexation, taking pleasure, taking pains, kindred spirits, veterans, day and night, soft purr, soft pad, Pengerban has learned his trade, day and night, my own hard work solves the cruxes, makes a mark. I just love thinking about Pangerbon, this little white cat hunting mice and running around in a tower with this monk. It's such a cool image in my head. Our next story deals with a little bit of magic. Now, in Ireland, there's lots of fairies and leprechauns who I'm sure you've seen on all of the advertisements for St. Patrick's Day before. And maybe some of you have seen real leprechauns and real fairies. Now, fairies are in charge of making sure that humans or mortals treat each other with kindness. And we're going to hear about two people who had humps on their back and what happened when they met the fairies. Monday, Tuesday by Francis Jenkins Alcott There once lived a lad in old Ireland named Lucemore. He had a great hump on his back, and wherever he sat down, he had to rest his chin on his knee for support. But in spite of this, he was as happy as a cricket, and used to go about the country with a sprig of fairy cap or foxglove in his little straw hat. He went from house to house, plaiting baskets out of rushes, and in that way he earned a living. And he was so merry that people always gave him a penny more than he asked one evening he was returning from a distant town and as he walked slowly on account of his hump it grew dark before he could reach home he came to an old mound by the side of the road and being tired sat down on it to rest he had not been sitting there long when he heard strains of music and many little voices singing sweetly he laid his ear to the mound and perceived that the music and singing came from inside it <gasps> And he could hear the words that the little voices were chanting over and over again. Monday, Tuesday, Monday, Tuesday. 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 Monday, Tuesday, Monday, Tuesday, Monday, Tuesday. It was all so very sweet that Lucemore listened with delight, but by and by he grew tired of hearing the same words sung over and over. He waited politely until the voices had finished their song, and then he called, And Wednesday! The fairies, for it was the singing of fairies that he heard. 
were so pleased with Lucemore's addition to their words that they pulled him right down through the top of the mound with the speed of a whirlwind, and he went falling and twirling round and round as light as a feather. He found himself in a palace so bright that it dazzled his eyes. Then all the fairies stopped capering and dancing and came crowding around him, and one wearing a crown stepped forward and said, Lucemore! Lucemore, the hump that you wore on your back is no more. Look down on the floor and see it, Lucemore. And as these words were being said, Lucemore felt himself grow so light and happy that he could have bounded up to the moon. And he saw his hump tumble off his back and roll onto the floor. Then the fairies took hands and danced around him. And as they did, he became so dizzy, he fell asleep. When he opened his eyes, it was broad daylight, and the sun was shining, and the birds were singing, and cows and sheep were grazing peacefully around him. He put his hand to his hump. It was gone, and there he was, as tall, straight, and handsome as any other lad in Ireland. And besides all that, he was dressed in a full suit of beautiful clothes. He went toward his home, stepping out lightly and jumping high at every step so full of joy was he and as he passed his neighbors they hardly knew him without his hump and because he was so straight and tall and handsome and because he was dressed so finely now in another village not far away lived a lad named jack madden he also had a great hump on his back he was a peevish cunning creature and liked to scratch and pinch all who came near him when he heard how the fairies had taken away Lucemore's hump, he decided that he too would visit them. So one night, after darkness had fallen, he sat down on the mound all alone and waited. He'd not been there long before he heard the music and the sweet voices singing. Monday, Tuesday, Monday, Tuesday, Monday, Tuesday, Monday, Tuesday, Monday, Tuesday, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. And as he was in a very great hurry to get rid of his hump, he did not wait for the fairies to finish their song, but yelled out, thinking that two days were better than one, and Thursday and Friday. No sooner had the words left his lips than he was taken up quickly and whisked through the mound with a terrific force. And the fairies came crowding around him, screeching and buzzing with anger and crying out, Our song you've spoiled! Our song you've spoiled! Our song you've spoiled! Then the one wearing the crown stepped forward and said, Jack Madden, Jack Madden, your words came so bad in that your life we will sadden. Here's two humps for Jack Madden. And quick as a wink, twenty fairies brought Lucemore's hump and clapped it down on Jack Madden's back. And there it was fixed as firmly as if nailed on with tenpenny nails. Then out of the mound they kicked him. And when morning was come, he crept home with the two humps on his back. And he is wearing them still. Monday, Tuesday, Monday, Tuesday, Monday, Tuesday, Monday, Tuesday, Monday, Tuesday, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. 
Lots of stories from Ireland give us lessons and include wonderful music just like that one. The lesson in that one was reminding us to do our best to do right by the people around us. It doesn't do anyone any good to interrupt their song, does it? Sometimes fairies aren't just there to teach us a lesson. Sometimes they want to be like us and sometimes they pretend to be one of us and switch places. And that's what happened to Terrence in our next story. Let's hear what happens when old Mrs. O'Brien figures it out and, well, just listen. The Old King Comes Back by William Henry Frost. When Miss O'Brien and Kathleen had left home, they walked through the park into the Sullivans. Peter was away. Terence half sat and half lay on the floor in a corner. He held his right hand behind him and covered his face with his left arm. His whole body shook as if he were riding in a cart over a rough road. Ellen sat close to him, trying to soothe him and trying to get him to tell her what was the matter. When Mrs. O'Brien and Kathleen came in, Terence seemed to try to make himself smaller, but he did nothing else. Ellen, said Mrs. O'Brien, come outside the room here for a moment. I have something to tell you. Look at Terence there, Ellen answered. How can I leave him when he's that way? Leave him, said Mrs. O'Brien, and come out here with me. She took Ellen by the hand and led her, and Ellen followed. There was something in Mrs. O'Brien's look now that told her she would have to come. Now look at me said Mrs. O'Brien, when they were out of the room. Do I look as if I would mean every word I said, or do I not? Ellen didn't answer, and Mrs. O'Brien said, Ellen, when it was only your own affair, I told you what you ought to do, but I let you take your own way. But now it's Kathleen's affair, and John's, and mine, and it's time that I had my way. Look at me, Ellen, and tell me, do I look as if I mean to have it? Again, Ellen looked at the old woman's face and said nothing for an instant. Then she looked down again in a confused way and said, I must go back to Terence. Ellen, said the old woman, go down to the kitchen. We'll follow you, and Terence can come too, if he likes, and I think he will. Without a word, Ellen went down the stairs. Mrs. O'Brien called to Terence, We're going to the kitchen. You can come if you like. Mrs. O'Brien and Kathleen followed Ellen, and Terence followed them. He slipped down the stairs like a bundle of rags. He stole into the kitchen after the others and half set, half lay in the corner, as he had done in the room above, only he did not cover his face with his arm, but kept his eyes on Mrs. O'Brien to see what she was going to do. Now, Ellen, Mrs. O'Brien whispered, put your largest pot on the fire, put water in it, and let it boil. Ellen looked at the old woman as if she were begging her not to do this. The old woman looked back at her, and then she did it. She put the pot on the fire and the water in the pot. Now, bring all the eggs you have in the house, Mrs. O'Brien said. Ellen was past asking questions now when she brought the eggs. It always takes a long time for water to boil, and it seemed to all of them as if it took hours for this water to boil. While they were waiting, not one of them spoke, and they scarcely moved. Terence was all but holding his breath, and his eyes, red and staring, were now upon Mrs. O'Brien, and now upon Ellen, and never at rest. Kathleen looked at Terence and clutched the little crucifix in her hand, but she need not have been afraid of Terence. He knew the crucifix as well as he cared to know it. After a long time, the water boiled. Mrs. O'Brien waited till it was boiling as hard as it ever could, and she whispered to Ellen, "'Break the eggs now. Keep the shells and throw away the rest.'" 
Poor Ellen could not guess what it all meant, but she broke the eggs, laid the shells carefully aside, and threw away the rest. No, said Mrs. O'Brien, put the shells in the pot. Ellen did what she was told. What are you doing, mother? Terence called from his corner. Tell him you're brewing, Mrs. O'Brien whispered. I'm brewing, Terence, said Ellen, scarcely loud enough to be heard. Underwater you're brewing, Terence asked again. Say eggshells, Mrs. O'Brien whispered. Eggshells, Terence, Ellen said. Terence sprang to his feet. Eggshells, he cried. For near six thousand years I lived on this earth, and never till this minute did I see anybody brew eggshells. Mrs. O'Brien had turned upon him before he had done speaking. Six thousand years, is it, that you've been on this earth? She cried. Then go ahead and spend the rest of the years where you spent the six thousand. You've been long enough here and send back the child that was stolen when you came here. Terence sprang toward a window. Ellen stood in his way. He struck her in the face with his open hand and threw her on the floor. After that, nobody saw him but Kathleen. She saw him go toward the window. It was open, just a little crack. Before her very eyes, he grew smaller and smaller till he scrambled and rolled and slipped through the crack and was gone. That very instant, the door opened and the hill Terence came in. He saw Ellen lying on the floor and without noticing anyone else, he went to her and he lifted her up. Ellen looked in his face started back from him for an instant, still gazing at his face, and then caught him in her arms and cried, with her voice awful of tears, Oh, it's me own boy, me own boy, the one I always saw in me dreams. Don't come near me, any of you, or you'll wake me, and it'll be another dream. Oh, let me keep this dream while I can. You'll keep this dream always, Ellen dear, the old woman said. Have no more fear. This is the dream that's for all your life and forever. It was about that time, or it may have been a little later, that Peter came in. They told him all about it as well they could. It's glad I am that it came out so, Peter said, after they had completely bewildered him by trying to make him understand the story. Oh, it's glad I am, and yet I did like to hear Terence play the fiddle. I can play the fiddle a little too, the new Terence said. Oh, yes, indeed he can, said Kathleen. Bring the fiddle and he'll show you. Peter brought the fiddle and Terence played, and the fiddle sang a great song of gladness, the song of a soul born to find itself a full man all at once. Ah, don't you see now, don't you see now, Kathleen cried. That means something. The fairies in the hill were dancing their endless dance when Naginan, as if he'd been lifted up in the air and dropped, was suddenly among them. They stopped the dance and gathered around him. What for are you back here? the king asked. They drove me out, Naginan cried. I knew they would. I told you they would. I told you. You could do nothing, and I could do nothing. Oh, it's the only wonder that they didn't drive me out long ago. What do you keep your hand behind you for? The king asked. I couldn't tell you that, said Naginan. I couldn't say the words that I'd have to say to you. And how do they drive you out? By brewing eggshells. And do you mean, the king cried, that you let them catch you with that old trick? Oh, I thought you was clever. 
let them catch me. I couldn't help what they did. I tried to help it, but it's a spell that's too strong for me or for any of us. If I was to get a soul by it, I couldn't help saying, What are you doing, mother? And then I couldn't help saying how long I'd been on the earth. And, oh, didn't I always tell you mortals were more powerful than us? If only they knew how. Well, uh, what are our spells and our charms to theirs? And where is Terence, then? The king asked. He's not come in yet, somebody answered. You know where he must be by this time, said Naginan. He's back with his father and his mother by now. Where else could he be? There'll be no geometry tonight, the king said. It's all done. We failed in that. We'll always be as we are, as you told us, Naginan. So now, be as you were yourself and give us a tune to dance by. We was dancing when you came in, but it was no good music we had. So Naginan played and all the fairies danced and everything was as it should be. Oh my goodness, the music was so wonderful and it was it was kind of funny to hear that both of these Terrences, both the pretend one and the real one once we figured everything out, could play the fiddle so well. What fun it must be to dance to that music. Now that was some traditional Irish music. What I love about Irish music is the way that the drums and the guitars and the ulium pipes, which sound a lot like bagpipes, and all of these different sounds work together to make a beautiful pattern to dance to. And my goodness, if I knew somebody like these Terrences that could play the fiddle like that, I would dance all day long. Before we listen to our last poem, I would like to tell you about a tradition that happens in my hometown. We have a wonderful parade, and it's always the weekend before St. Patrick's Day. St. Patrick's Day is March 17th, and this year that parade is on March 12th, which is just a couple days after you hear this podcast for the very first time, and I am so excited. We can spread out, and we can watch bands go by and listen to wonderful music and dance, dance, dance as much as we can. We drink green drinks sometimes. My favorite is a green smoothie. Do you like a green smoothie? I love a green smoothie. And we wear hats, we draw on our faces, and we say hello, hello, hello to all of our sweet friends. I will be thinking of you, my sweet friends, when I go to this parade. Our last poem is a very calm poem about a beautiful lake in Ireland. The Lake of Innisfree by W.B. Yeats. I will arise and go now and go to Innisfree and a small cabin built there of clay and wattles made. Nine bean rows will I have there, a hive for the honeybee and live alone in the bee loud glade. And I shall have some peace there for peace comes dropping slow, dropping from the veils of the morning to where the cricket sings. There midnight's all a glimmer and noon a purple glow and evening full of the linnet's wings. I will arise 
and go now for always night and day I hear lake water lapping with low sounds by the shore while I stand on the roadway or on the pavement's gray I hear it in the deep heart's core I hope to one day go to Ireland and see all these beautiful places and listen to this wonderful music where it was written. Until I can get to Ireland, though, I will celebrate St. Patrick's Day and I'll sing, sing, sing at the top of my lungs. Maybe I'll sing that Monday, Tuesday and Wednesday song. (laughs) This has been a wonderful time with you and I hope that you stay happy, stay healthy and keep reading. Stay healthy, keep reading. Stay happy, stay healthy, keep reading. Until the day comes we meet again. Stay happy, stay healthy, keep reading my